Good morning. Today I will be reading Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the superior forces in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Please bow with me in prayer. Dear God, thank you for this wonderful day. Please help us to always put our full armor of God so that we can stand strong and always look to you for guidance. Help us to always make good choices. Be with those who are sick. Help them to feel better. Keep us safe. In Jesus' name I send the prayer. Amen. Good morning. Oftentimes in life, we sin and fall short of the glory of God. Yet, as Christians, we know that we have hope of eternal life because our Savior served as our sacrificial lamb and died on the cross for our sins. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. No matter how tough life gets, we know that Jesus went to the cross for us. This morning, as we partake of the Lord's Supper, let's reflect on that great sacrifice. And we must give thanks for the love that was shown on our behalf. Let's, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your Son to die on the cross for our sins. Please forgive us of our sins and help us to always remember the pain and suffering that took place so that we can have hope of eternal life. Please be with us as we partake of the bread which to Christians represents your son's body. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. To continue our communion service, I will be reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 25. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Please bow your head with me in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We hope that we can all be safe and healthy. As we come to you again, remembering Christ's sacrifice, we now ask that we take this fruit of the vine that represents Jesus' bloodshed for us on the cross. 
We ask that we keep our minds on you as we take this communion. In Jesus' name, I send the prayer. Amen. Good morning. I'll be reading a verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. When I get money for helping around the house or for my birthday or other special occasions, and do it, I set aside some of it to give. I like to give because it makes me feel that I am helping expand God's kingdom and help others. This contribution is used to support the operation of this church and help in our community. There are many easy ways to give to the work of this church. The first way is you can go to the church website, touch the menu button, and then select the second option labeled online giving. The second way is you can download the Easy Tides app and give one time or set of reoccurring giving. You can mail or drop off your contribution to the church office. The fourth way is you can place your contribution in one of the baskets located at the back of the auditorium. The fifth way is if you're going to children's church, you can place it in the basket that will be up front as you are dismissed. Please bow your head in prayer with me. Dear God, thank you for providing for us each day. You give us food to eat, a place to live, and clothes to wear. You give us everything. Please help us to remember the importance of giving back to you so your good work can be done. Please help us to use what is given to expand your kingdom. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. Today I'm reading John chapter 14, verses 2 and 3. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, will I come again, and will I take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also? Let us pray. Dear God, thank you for this day and all of our many blessings. Please help us to always look to you to guide us in our lives, in good times and bad times always. Help us to always strive to your will, so that, to do your will, so that we can have a home in heaven that you have prepared for us. Please be with us always, especially those who are sick or in need. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's hard to believe that this is already the final family worship of the year. This year has flown by. And I want to thank all the young men this morning. You guys did a great job. Let's give them a hand. It's great to watch them grow up in the Lord and come up and help lead us in worship. It's very important that we do that. And for all the children, we've said it before, but happy Halloween. I've talked to some of you, and you're very excited about the candy today. I'm excited about that, too. So let's all have a, a great and fun night tonight. But in, in thinking about Halloween, 
growing up, that was always the scariest day of the year for me. In fact, it was probably the scariest week for me. You could watch TV and see all the scariest movies out there. Yes. And then Halloween night was always creepy with all the costumes and with all the decorations. Last October in children's worship, we did a series of lessons on scariest stories of the Bible. And there are a lot of scary stories in the Bible. And one of my favorite is found in Ezekiel chapter 37. You might remember this. Ezekiel had a vision and the spirit came to him and took him to the valley of the dry bones. There on the dusty ground, he saw lots of bones. I, to me, that's already scary. But the spirit asked him to prophesy to the bones. And the bones came together and formed skeletons. And on the skeletons formed tendons and skin. Can you imagine that scene? To see bones and then a skeleton and then have the skin grow over it. And you're looking at all these lifeless bodies just laying there. And then the spirit asked him to prophesy breath. And breath entered the bodies. And they stood up and they formed a vast army. That's a scary story. And there's many scary stories in the Bible. Bible uh, stories that can cause fear for us. And I can't think of any subject that should cause more fear than the subject of hell and Satan. That's really not something we talk about a lot in this environment. But it should cause fear. When I was 14 years old, I was hired by the Victorville Church of Christ to change out the church sign every week. You see, our building was right next to the freeway. And the elders had this really large sign constructed so that we could evangelize to all the thousands of people that would drive to and from Vegas each week. And one week I'll never forget, I was inspired. The preacher's son had this really cool Christian t-shirt that featured Yosemite Sam. And the caption read, heaven or hell, turn or burn. I like that. And as I thought about it, I knew that there was an exit about a half mile down the freeway. And I thought about all the souls that we could save if everyone driving to Vegas read the sign and just pulled off and went back home. So late that Thursday night, I put up on the sign, heaven or hell, turn or burn. Well, it didn't go over too well. <laughs> Friday morning hit, and the church office received tons of complaints, a lot of phone calls, some stopped by. In fact, I think City Hall received some concerns as well. We were only, we had one of three signs in Victorville, so in many ways we represented the city. And later that Friday evening, the elders called my dad, and they weren't too pleased. So dad and I went to the church building late that night, and we changed out the sign. And the elders decided that from that point on, they were going to decide what went up on the sign. So we changed the sign to God is love. So when everyone returned, they would see a new message. And the following week, love one another. And then 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And love the Lord your God. And I think throughout the rest of the year, we probably used every verse in the Bible that had something to do with love. You see, in the churches of Christ back then, there was a change going on. We were changing from fear-based, talking about hellfire and brimstone, and we were moving to hope-based, talking more about heaven, love, and grace. That's a good thing, isn't it? We should have hope. We should praise our Heavenly Father and realize that he sent his own son down to earth to die on the cross for our sins so that we can have hope of eternal life. That's very important. But it's not a popular, when we look at fear, it's not a popular topic today. We don't like to talk about hell. We don't like to think about Satan. And my fear is that many people are living their lives today like hell doesn't exist. Forgetting the fact that Satan is working in our daily lives, trying to get us to change the way we think, the way we act, to change our decision-making, to turn us away from God. And while I understand why hell is not popular... I think we have to be careful in picking and choosing what we want to think about from the Bible. We need to study the whole Bible. 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17 says, All scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. God wants us to know about hell. He does. He wants us to know about Satan. In fact, hell is mentioned in the Bible 162 times. And out of that, 70 times came from the mouth of Jesus. In fact, Jesus talked more about hell than he did heaven. When Jesus talks about it, we should take it serious. We should think about that. As a parent, I'll tell you, I like to parent through hope. I like for Tyler and Brinley to know that if they work hard, if they do what's right, if they live their life the way they should, they're going to be rewarded. Life's going to be more enjoyable. And I wish that's all I had to use. I do. But I also have to use fear sometimes. My children need to understand when they don't do what's right, when they don't live their life the way they should, there will be consequences. There will be a punishment. And hasn't our Heavenly Father done the same with us? He has shown us there is a path for a reward, for hope. When you live the life the way you should and you follow his will, there's a great, great reward waiting. But if you don't, and you don't follow his path, there's a path that leads to hell. And that's real. So this morning, we're going to talk about fear and hope. Hope of heaven or fear of hell. We're going to talk about how to overcome evil. And we're going to talk about the fear 
we need to have for our loved ones. So heaven or hell, I think if we asked the world's population, most people would say they'd rather go to heaven than hell, right? Would you agree? But I don't know if that's the right question. The question should be, are we living our lives to where we show we want to go to heaven? Are we living our lives to get to heaven? Or are we living our lives to get to hell? Let's think about the following. Aaron's preached this many times from the pulpit. We can't earn our way to heaven. We can't be so good that God's going to grant it to us just because of how perfect we were. We know that we all fall short of the glory of God. But it's because of the grace of God. It's because of the blood of Jesus that our sins are forgiven. And while we can't earn heaven, that's a gift from God, we can certainly earn hell. When we turn our backs on God, when we fall away, if we fall away, that puts us on the other path. We need to realize, though, that God is the only judge. I think Christians sometimes get a bad rap. We shouldn't tell people where they're going. That's for God to do, and God can do whatever he wants. However, the word of God does provide a blueprint for life. There is a path. There's a narrow path that leads to heaven. And God tells us what we need to do on that path. And there is a path that leads to hell. And I think it's certainly appropriate to let people know that you're on the wrong path. You're moving in the wrong direction. That's important. As I was creating this lesson, Sandy sent me a quote that I thought was very interesting. The fact that there's a highway to hell and only a stairway to heaven says a lot about anticipated traffic numbers. <laughs> that, that is very sad, isn't it? But unfortunately, probably true. Unfortunately, the way the world is going, there seems to be more people headed in the wrong direction. And that's sad. That's unfortunate. But let's talk a little bit about heaven. The Bible gives us some descriptions. In John, mansions where we will dwell with Jesus. In Hebrews, a city built for worship. In Revelation, filled with peace, joy, and praise. Light like a precious gemstone, light of God. Pearl gates and streets of gold. Aren't those amazing descriptions? Sandy and I, before we had children, we were driving across country and we stopped to worship in a country town called New Hope, Arkansas. And the preacher there asked us where we were from and what we did. And we told him we we're from Orange County, California, and we worked at Disneyland. And he changed his sermon a little bit. He was talking about heaven and hell, and he said, I propose this. I propose heaven is like being at Disneyland, except there's no lines and it's free. That's pretty, that's nice, right? And I think what he was trying to say is, think of the happiest place you could think about. Think of greatness. Think of perfection. And that's heaven. I wish there was more descriptions. I would love to see exactly what it's like. I'm excited. But let's just think about the greatest place we could think about. You would think that alone would cause 
everybody to want to live their lives accordingly, wouldn't you? That promise that God gives to the faithful, that hope that we have, you would think that alone is enough for us to live our lives the way we should. But let's look at hell a little bit. In Matthew, it's likened to a prison with complete darkness. In Luke, an unquenchable fire where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's a tough description, isn't it? And I think what makes that even more scary is the fact that it's for eternity. For the children here, that means forever and ever. There is no ending. There's no extra credit. There's no way out. It's the way it's always going to be. And for me, that causes fear. I don't want to be there. God gives us a choice. He gives us two paths. We need to take the path of heaven. But we're attacked every day, right? Satan is constantly attacking us in our lives. So how do we overcome evil? How do we make sure we stay on the path we need to stay on? Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 13. We heard this this morning, but finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. We need to have the armor of God. We need to have that to protect us. So what is the armor of God? We have the helmet of salvation. We need to protect our mind. We need to have a godly perspective and protect that. We need a breastplate of righteousness. We need to protect our heart. And that righteousness isn't our righteousness. It's the righteousness of Jesus. We need the belt of truth to hold up our clothing, but also the truth that enables everybody to know we're always being honest. We have integrity. We're always doing the right thing and saying the right thing. Probably the most important, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We need to know that. We need to use that. We need to sharpen that. And then we need the shield of faith. And that's God protecting us, right? God is our shelter. God is our foundation. When we're in him, He's right there as a shield protecting us, standing in between us and evil. And then the feet of peace. We need to be comfortable. We need to conquer doubt and worry. We need to have peace in our lives so that we can handle the walk of life. It's important that we maintain the armor of God. After Jesus was baptized... He went out into the wilderness and he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. That's a long time, isn't it? I tell the children, when I fast for three hours, Amen. I'm in a bad mood. That is tough. Can you imagine fasting for 40 days? I would imagine, being Jesus was human, that this was probably one of his weakest moments. I would imagine that he was tired, that he was weak, and he was probably starving. 
And Satan, being as brilliant as he is, picked that moment to attack Jesus. And Satan showed up, and he challenged him. He said, if you're the son of God, turn this bread to stone. That's brilliant, isn't it? Challenging him and then asking that stone turn to bread. The one thing that Jesus probably wanted more than anything. And Jesus used his sword and he said, man shall not live on bread alone. What a great example. That's teaching us, hey, things might look more important to you on earth. It might be food. It might be wealth. It might be material things. But God's more important than all of that, right? Well, Satan attacked again. Satan took him to the highest point, And he said, look out as far as you can see. Worship me and I'll give you all of this. He understands humans. We thirst for power. We thirst for wealth. We thirst for status. After all, Jesus was the king of kings. And Jesus, again, used his sword and said, Worship the Lord your God. Serve him only. You can't have two masters, can you? God must always come first. God is the one that we need to always serve, not other things in life that may seem to be more attractive. Well, then Satan finally took Jesus to the top of the temple. And he challenged Jesus again. And he said, if you're the son of God, jump. But this time, Satan used the sword himself. Satan quoted, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Satan's saying, hey, show me you're the son of God. Jump. In the scripture, God says it's going to be okay. His angels are going to take care of you. Let's see what happens. And God again pulls the sword and says, do not put your God to the test. And doesn't that sometimes happen to us? Hey, you're baptized. Live your life up. Live your life the way you want. Because all you have to do is ask for forgiveness. So just do whatever you want. Hey, you're baptized. You're already saved. It's a done deal. Do whatever you want in life. And we know as Christians, God's called us to live a holy and pleasing life to him. Are you overcoming evil? Are you baptized into Christ? That is key to overcoming evil. And if you're not, I, I hope it's not Satan that's trying to convince you it's not necessary. That is not important. That is not needed. Is your foundation built on God? Is God number one in your lives, in your life? Is he your priority? Are you wearing the armor of God? Hey, it sounds pretty complicated, but the great thing is when you're baptized into Christ, the armor comes with it. You get the armor. You just have to perfect it. You have to learn how to use it. Are you living a holy and pleasing life? Are you staying on the right path? 
Are you living your life the way God has called you to live? And are you striving daily to overcome evil? God knows we're going to sin and fall short. We do every day, right? But he knows our hearts. He knows our minds. He wants to see that effort there. He wants to see us striving to overcome evil and live the type of life he's called us to live. But it's not just about our souls. You know, we, we need to be on the right path to make it to heaven. But it's also about fear for loved ones. Jason and I were talking. There was a report that was done. Some data came out. 80% of our children and our youth, when they leave home, will stop attending worship. Those are real statistics. It's, it's happening. 80% when you get to make your own decisions and you get to live home, there's many children that are growing up and saying, I've had enough. I'm leaving the church. Now, that doesn't mean they've fallen away, but that's a tough path, isn't it? That's the start of things to come. That can be scary. That's what keeps me up at night. I can't think of anything that's scarier than the thought of having my children fall away from God. On Wednesday mornings, a lot of men here meet for coffee very, very early in the morning. And we fellowship. And so oftentimes we talk about our children and we pray for them. And Bruce, one of our elders, often says, look, you got to teach them up. You got to show them how they need to live their lives. Educate them. Set an example. And then in the end, you just have to pray and hope it sticks. Hope they stay on course. Sounds easy, doesn't it? But it's really hard to do. So I want to speak to the parents for a moment. Grandparents, aunts, uncles, teachers, mentors. Are we doing right by our children? Are we teaching them that nothing on this earth is more important than our Heavenly Father? Are we teaching them that we live this life for the next life, for our eternal life? Are we showing them that God's the number one priority? Or are we showing them that God's important when we need something or when we have time? It's very important that we teach our children. But it's not just about our children. It's also about our loved ones. I did an exercise for this sermon, and I'm going to ask you to do the same exercise. I want you to think in your mind about everybody that you really love. Now, I know we've been called to love everyone, but those really special people in your life, the people that you would give a Christmas card to, and think about them. All the people that really mean a lot to you. Now I want you to let go of the ones that are on the right path. Let go of those people in your mind that has a strong relationship with God. Do you have anyone left? If you're like me, or I think if we're all being honest, we all have people in our lives 
that we know they're on the right, wrong path. We have people we really care about that's not living their lives on the path that leads to heaven. I was having a conversation with a fellow leader at work, and she was really frustrated. And she said, Glenn, I, I know you go to church, so don't take this personal. But this other leader had the audacity to give me a book about God. And he knows I don't believe in God because I've told him multiple times I don't believe in God. He must really disrespect me. He must not like me very much to give me that kind of garbage when he knows how I feel. And my response was, I, I can definitely see you're frustrated and you're upset. But as someone that has a relationship with God, let me tell you. When you believe in God, you believe in heaven and you believe in hell. And this person must really care about you to give you that book, knowing the direction you might be headed in. In fact, it isn't this person you need to worry about in your life. It's the other believers that haven't brought it up with you. Those are the ones you need to question. Those are the relationships that might not be where they should be. We need to fear for the loved ones in our lives. Jesus taught what I think is the scariest parable in the entire Bible. And it's found in Luke. There was a rich man. He had a lot of wealth. He was living an amazing life. And then at his gates was a beggar by the name of Lazarus. Lazarus didn't have much of anything. He was starving for food. He had to beg for everything. And one day Lazarus died. And soon after, the rich man died. And Jesus said that the angels took Lazarus to be by the side of Abraham. And the rich man went to Hades. And the rich man looked up and could see Abraham. And he begged him for pity and mercy. And he said, please help me. If I could just have a drip on my finger to quench my thirst on my tongue, just a little bit of relief. And that's what he asked for. Let's pick this story up in Luke chapter 16, verse 25. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us, he answered. Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent, he said to him. If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. What a powerful, scary parable. See, Jesus wants us to know about hell. He wants us to know what happens 
He wants us to know that this rich man was not on the right path. He did not have God in his life. And he went to Hades. And Hades was so terrible that he had pain and agony. And he wanted just a drip of water. That scares me. It scares me for my loved ones. It scares me for myself. I want to live my life to get to heaven. But I loved what happens next. He then started caring about his loved ones, right? He knew what it was like. Once he experienced it, he didn't want anyone else he knew to go to hell. He wanted to take care of them. Church, we know what heaven is like and we know what hell is like. We know. We've had a glimpse. We need to share the gospel. We need to take people with us to heaven. That's our job as Christians. If you're not a Christian, you're not on the right path right now. For people that aren't in the Lord, right now, God is giving the blessing of time. And tomorrow is never promised. Don't leave here without getting baptized. It's a very scary thing. Don't mess around with that. If you're having a hard time on your walk, if you're having a hard time taking on evil, come forward. Let us pray for you. Let the elders talk to you. Let's give you strength to help you take on evil. If you have people in your lives that you're concerned about that are on the wrong path, come forward. Let the elders pray for you to give you strength, to give you the right words. You might say, hey, their hearts are hardened. They're not going to listen to anything I say. Well, guess what? There's someone who could change their hearts. It's not just about us. Let's pray for other people, too, so that they could come to know Jesus, that they can soften their hearts. As Christians, we have hope of eternal life. We have a great home waiting for us. The day is going to come when we all get to be there as a family. And we get to praise with our Savior and with our Heavenly Father. The lesson is yours as we stand and sing the invitation song. Sing the